until I joined um, it was Brunton Youth Theatre and it was fantastic and at that time they had uh, collaboration going on with Paisley Youth Theatre and a busload of kids from Paisley Youth Theatre would come through to Musselburgh and we'd put on these amazing shows and at that time James McAvoy was there Stephen Howie, I don't know if you know Stephen, who did the Contemporary Theatre Practice. Uh, David Snedden of uh, Fame Academy fame. My word. Yeah, so... Jim McAvoy and David Snedden. Yeah, yeah. The the big ins. (laughs) So... The big three. Seanan McDonald, James McAvoy and David Snedden. David Snedden, there you go. Hello, this is your host, Graham Rooney, and welcome to A Performer, A Pint and a pod. The podcast where I take you down the pub and we meet a performer, have a drink and find out the tiddly truth you only get in a pub. I'll be chatting to fantastic performers at all different points of their careers, discussing where they've come from, career-defining moments and, of course, guilty pleasures. All whilst having a laugh and getting a wee bit pissed. Fancy a pint with a pop star? A whiskey with your West End idol? Or a mojito with a magician? Then join me down the pub. So, without further ado, let's head down to the local and see which one of the nation's top performers is in there tonight. Pint please, mate. Thank you very much. This week, I go for a pint with a wonderful, award-winning Scottish actress. Shauna MacDonald has had an extensive career in film, TV and theatre. She burst onto her screen in Spooks, starred in the hit horror film The Descent and has not looked back since, starring in many more movies, including the Irvin Welsh hit film Filth with James McAvoy. So let's go find out all about it. Time to get the paint in. Shauna MacDonald, hello and welcome to A Performer, A Paint and A Pod. How are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm all right on this really dreary, dark, depressing day. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a dry white wine because I can, yeah. Oh, lovely. Mm. Very nice indeed. I've got myself a little Heineken. Lovely. I know, I know. I do like a Heineken, you know. I've mm-hmm. I've changed over over the years. I don't know if it's old age or something. Um I've switched over at Heineken. Never drank a tenants, not a chance. What? Even when you were at Trader Joe's? Come on. Trader Joe's I love that. That's you've just lost most of the podcast <laughs> like anyone listening. I mean Trader Joe's doesn't even exist anymore. Oh, it was a pub uh, right in the corner. Right in the corner yeah. from our um our uh, drama college because we didn't really have a, a union a student union pub did we did we not really so we went around no the we corner. didn't uh, we didn't and also i mean it's scotland so it's just like they basically just point you to the nearest pub yes. and then all of the social events and all of the meetings of everyone that's where it went on in the local pub uh, yeah we saw lots of coming of age stories happening in there and i would have a little tipple of lager and lime how gross is that that was my drink of choice lager and lime lager oh what's oh, wrong with lime, you? lime cordial <laughs> sure i know well then it doesn't really matter what lager you'd have and then fair enough that's just true. have a tenants if you're going to chuck lime in it that's true that's oh, horrid horrific so there we go, yes, straight away we've told them, um, that's how we know each other. 
Uh, we know from uh, the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, now the Royal Conservatoire. Um, that's how that's how you you started out with your training. I did, yeah, back when I was eighteen, um, in nineteen ninety nine, very fresh faced and um, innocent and and not bitter at all yet, or or bitterly disappointed. <laughs> no, no, it was amazing. Oh, no. I, it was. Um, I'm not bitter now. Not not too bitter. No, it was amazing, amazing because I didn't. As you know, it's really difficult to get in in the first place because they they only choose a few well 22 I think were in our class in first year and there at the time really I think there was only there's only a couple of good schools around at that time there was Queen Margaret and there was uh, the RSAMD and a few other great colleges but in terms of get we got a degree in acting which I think is a little bit ridiculous because I some of my friends have proper degrees (laughs) don't 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 put my degree down sorry I, do always, I always on. tell my family I'm that I've got a degree. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so don't, don't knock it. I think I probably wrote about one half-page essay to get oh, there. I think we did opt for the um, theatre history to to do a presentation, and we had Brecht, so it was just hilarious. But yeah, I think the whole time we were there, um, I, I just loved it. I just completely threw myself into it. I wanted to learn everything I could. I was a I was a hard worker. I was probably like the Melanie C of the band, you know, where she's just trying too hard all the time, you know, just just teach me all, you know. And I was told a couple of times by, by tutors not to not not to take it so seriously. And I, I I thought, what do you what do you mean? This is a really hard business. But I think what they were trying to say is just also remember to enjoy it because because you're sort of you're in a really safe place and you can make you can make mistakes that was the I think that was really the message you are here to make mistakes so you can only make mistakes by pushing your boundaries and learning lots of stuff and don't be be scared of of failing unfortunately when we now get a job you're failing if you're going to fail you're going to fail in front of hundreds of people or possibly millions if you do it in a movie so you can't fail (laughs) back yeah yeah that's probably why they were like look believe me right now (laughs) in these three years of drama school don't do fail now fail now get, get all your failing out the way yeah get all your shit out your system exactly <laughs> if you're about to go out to the real world would it be, like you'll just be shot down and you will be you judged fail. and yeah remain unemployed yeah so but i did I, I thoroughly enjoyed it we had a great mix of of tutors um when we were there you know lots of um sort of stanislavski stuff which i you know i can I can do it, but I've got issues with it. But then other great technical voice support work and then other ways to break down a text. So I felt when I left, I've got loads to pick and choose from. I had like a giant pick and mix bag of of ways to sort of to attack a character, I suppose. Yeah. How did you actually get into acting itself? Was there a particular reason or was drama school kind of the beginning or was it before that you were you were doing acting? So when I was a little girl, I had a lisp and I was really shy. So my mum thought it was a great idea to sort of force me into organised activities where I would have to expose my flaws. And uh, that was her sort of a, <laughs> attempt to there, there. make... <laughs> that, 
That's love for you right there yeah. in Scotland. Right. <laughs> cool. She'd make me she'd make me recite a, a rhyme called Cecil the Spider. And I've got a list, man. So I thought people were laughing at me because I was my delivery was so funny, but no, it was my funny sounding voice. Anyway, so she made me join all these things. I hated everything until I joined um it was Brunton Youth Theatre and it was fantastic. And at that time they had uh collaboration going on with Paisley Youth Theatre and a busload of kids from Paisley Youth Theatre would come through to Musselburgh and we'd put on these amazing shows and at that time James McAvoy was there, Stephen Howie, I don't know if you know Stephen who did the contemporary theatre practice, uh, David Sneddon of uh, Fame Academy fame. My word, <laughs> yeah, so... James McAvoy and David Sneddon? Yeah, yeah, the the big ins. <laughs> so... Shauna Mc... The big three, Shauna Mc... <laughs> James McAvoy and David, David Snedden. There you go. But we, but um, they became great, great friends actually. And there was a bunch of us that um, just, I just loved it, and were obviously really enthralled by drama. Whether we were going to take it on after we were fifteen, sixteen, we didn't really know. But there was something about it that I just felt incredibly free and excited and oh god I think I'm always trying to chase the high of youth theatre so after those productions finished a few of us would you know take the train through to Paisley every Saturday because we just wanted to keep being taught by it was uh, Barry Gilbert and David Wallace because they were so brilliant and I realised when it came to having to choose what I was going to do at university luckily I I'd had really ter- not terrible results but a lot of C's in there so I <laughs> I could have maybe placated um my sort of drive to be surrounded by stories if I could have gotten into maybe study English or maybe history but there was just no way a university would accept me and I do remember going to Edinburgh University in Glasgow for their open days and being in the 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 theatres where they do all these you know lecture lecture rooms and my throat I felt like my throat was closing and I realised I was panicking at the thought that I would have to go through the hell of being talked at for two hours in a subject that I didn't really care about and then at that point I knew that I at least had to try to get into a drama college so I tried for Queen Margaret they didn't want to see my second piece because it was rubbish I was rubbish oh, really oh, it was awful I did knives and hens and I didn't understand what I was saying and and then I Oh, it was awful. And they said, thank you very much. And I thought, well, I've blown that one. And then, actually, um, James McAvoy helped me with my Shakespeare piece. And a lovely friend of mine called Malcolm Watson, who I'd met at the Theatre, who later actually went to RSMD as well, um, he helped me with my contemporary piece. And I'd chosen this, God, this really tricky piece called by Tom Stoppard, um, artist descending a staircase or something anyway I was playing a blind girl I thought you've got to have a gimmick I'll be blind I'll be blind in this one and then, so they sort of they, and they were and they taught me in you know different techniques and just sort of really helped me just really as pals just helped me as much as they could and I felt I mean I didn't know if I could act but I was confident that I'd, I'd tried my best like I'd actually prepared and so I went in and it was back in the day where it was that kind of American way where the names are put up on the board in the hallway and you gather round and you see if you've got to the next stage and yes I remember oh, that awful. one well it's awful isn't it 
But, you know, I got in and I just, it was... It was like a dream, and I don't think anything has compared. Because obviously you don't know by the end of that day whether you've got into the actual course. But I, I I, knew then that I wasn't useless. I wasn't useless at it. I wasn't I wasn't just, you know, this silly little girl who thought she could be an actor. Somebody else thought, well, she's, she's all right. She's good enough to go into the next stage anyway. And then when I got the letter to say I got in, you know, it was just... I knew my life was going to change in terms of, you know, Portobello, ironically, where I'm back and I love now. I just wanted to leave. It was, I just, I didn't, I fell out with a lot of my friends in sixth year. It was a horrible, I just felt tension every day. And I thought, what am I going to do if I, if I don't escape this world? I just felt so claustrophobic. And then when I got the letter, I was like, oh my God, my life is going to change. And it did. And it was just so incredibly upliftingly exciting it was funny when you were saying about the the, the audition days and stuff because like a lot of people if you've not auditioned for drama school you won't know how this is how it uh... works um there was three rounds on the uh, i don't know if it was three rounds on your day but it was three rounds when i was there and you went and you did your first two pieces mm-hmm. then you came out and there was usually about i don't know there must have been about 30 or 40 people oh, at that point going yeah. in and out then the names will go up in the board once everyone's done. And by that point, it's chopped down to about, I don't know, 12 or something. Oh, it's brutal. If your name's on the board, brilliant. And uh, if your name's not on the board, go home. Nay it's like, see yeah. you later, like, grab your bag. And it was really brutal. Then you would go in, do the next round, which would be, it could be singing or rhythm or movement. Uh, there's all sorts of different things. And once again, you get whittled down, uh, and I think there was a final sort of six uh, on mine in the third round, and then you and you still, like you say, you still, you don't, still know. don't know if you're in. You've got all the way through all that, and then you leave, and then you finally get a letter that will tell you if you've got in or not. And they add to the pain of that by they do this during a normal day where all the other actors who who'd been through the pain the year before but actually got in are going about their regular classes so you can sort of wander around and look in and you see all these actors doing what you desperately want to do it's you know it's really cruel it's like torture and you just want to (laughs) be on the other side of that door yeah you're immersed by all these people just chilling around the 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 halls basically doing doing acting um uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so it's oh, yeah. like a world that's so far away from you and oh it's it's nerves that um it's an intensity and in nerves that it's one of those definitely uh great sort of life experiences that you don't realize until after the time I really don't think I've been in an audition process as intense as that since <laughs> that says everything doesn't it <laughs> yeah but it's true it is because it is it's a massive it, it's a huge game changer because it is whether you're going to go into the world of acting or not and that's everybody the, knows you're doing it as well that's the other thing your family know you're there you're you, who, whatever drama teacher or youth leader or whatever person has supported you up to that point they know your audition day and everything is on that I never tell anybody I'm auditioning for anything ever I don't like I actually don't tell people when I'm filming stuff I'll tell it tell them when it's all over so there's no pressure about anything you know I can do it away in secret but anyway I got in so well hey it's good (laughs) (laughs) and that is why we're talking today (laughs) yes um 
But yes, you obviously carried on, and uh, things went very, very well for you, didn't they? Um, when you did your showcase uh, at the end of it, was that when you landed an agent, or what happened for you at the end of drama school? So weirdly, when I was a teenager, me and my sister had a cleaning company called Handy Helpers, no job too small, and we would um, clean and walk dogs and wash cars and babysit. And we cleaned a flat just off Leith Walk on McDonald Street um, for a guy called John Coulter, who happened to have a sister called Anne Coulter, who is an agent. And um, John is, was a really good pal of my mum's, really. That's why I was cleaning, you know, this random guy's house at the age of 14. But um, my mum said to me, when I was sort of flirting with the idea of acting, when I was 16, she said, write to Anne, write to Anne and and just say, you know, just talk about the youth theatre and how you really want to, to be an actor and just as a character reference, put down John and, you know, don't say anything else about it. So I was like, okay. So I did and um, she phoned me up and she invited me to her office in Glasgow. So I went through at 16 on my own on the train and uh, I so had prepared like a monologue to do and she's like no 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 I don't need to see anything I'll just I just see that you've you've um you're you've cleaned for my brother and he says you're a nice girl so I tell you what we'll just why don't we I'll I'll put you up for adverts and things and just see how we go and at that point I must have I must have said maybe I was maybe I was 17 actually because then the I remember talking about that I wanted to go to the academy but I hadn't auditioned yet and blah 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 and then by the time I got to the academy, I already had an agent and I'd already done filming. I did my first job actually through uh, Paisley Youth Theatre called The Debt Collector with Billy Conley, just one scene, but it was with Billy Conley. And then I did a film, a terrible film, and the party got raided for drugs, the, the, the post-show party. That was kind of, I mean, that doesn't make it, that's like whatever any other film party you'd be to. But it was in like this warehouse in Leith. And I remember at the time thinking, God, this is cool. Uh, and this must be what the film industry is. But it was a bit dark. It was the murky side of film industry, to be honest. Um, but did you just to clarify there? Did you just say that the rap party after the film, like so, the party at the end of the film to celebrate the filming, yeah, got raided for drugs? Is that what? You yeah, said? it did. But I'd left by that point. This is what I. This is um what I'd been told afterwards. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was all a bit dark and <laughs> dark and murky that film, and I kind of survived that experience. I think I was shielded. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I already had a little bit of experience. And and to be honest, there were some points throughout my three years where I know that my agent was like, Shauna, you don't need you don't need to go to the academy. You're getting little bits and pieces. You can just, and I was like, I, I actually do because I want to learn. I don't want to learn on the job. But when I was 19, I got an amazing opportunity. So I just finished my second year at the academy oh actually I took a term out I think it's okay it's all so long ago that's how old I am anyway I was 19 <laughs> and I got I got a film called The Rocket Post with Kevin McKidd Eddie Marsan um uh, and this Danish actor called Ulrich Thompson and yes, Clive Russell yes. loads of amazing actors in it and 
so I, I went to the Outer Hebrides for two months and I shot a movie and I was the female lead in this movie. And I thought my life was going to change. <laughs> well, I mean, as you would, what, what did as you, you say you were 19? I was 19. I turned 20 on that island. I remember having a curry with Kevin McKidd and Eddie Marsan in Stornoway and the other cast members to celebrate my 20th birthday. It was just totally bonkers. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is what acting is like, just going on adventures and meeting really brilliant people. And oh, we're just telling stories. And then I, I go back to drama college and I've still got another year to go. And I was actually, I was really adamant that I wanted to finish that year because I just, I hate leaving things unfinished. And I just wasn't quite ready, even though I'd had this movie, but the movie wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you don't release movies straight away. And I thought, oh, I'll buy myself a bit of time. But the, the horrible irony of that whole amazing experience was that was supposed to elevate my career it took five years to get it out because of various problems between the producer the director the director actually died shortly after making the movie and it was just like this it ended up being like a beautiful learning experience where I got to discover what it is to to lead a movie and I this the, yeah. the director Stephen Whitaker absolutely held my hand throughout the whole experience and constantly told me that I could do it even when I was really struggling I had to do lots of emotional stuff and he, he just he just gave me a training that I couldn't have got at the academy mostly because he had they do they did no film and telly um you know screen acting so I was given this opportunity um I was constantly told by this lovely guy that I I had something and not to give up and I and I and it's only retrospectively I realised that he knew that he was ill during the filming and he was just being a nice mentor and making sure that, you know, this young actor got something good and and real and genuine from him from that experience. So he left that with me, you know. it was And, and the other great experience, which is a hard lesson to learn, I'm glad I learned it early on in my career is that the only power you can do is you turn up and you do a good job and then you have to forget about the film because you have no control over the edit you have no control over things like if it's ever ever going to be released and you just yeah. you know you just have to give up that control and as actors it is frustrating because we feel completely controlless um in because the only control really we have is to say no to jobs and when you're not even get getting asked to be seen for jobs everything seems a bit hopeless like just now but um it was a great it was a great really a great 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 lesson and I never ever believe any hype that anybody tells me not in terms of when a, a person like a professional is talking to me and like in that working relationship where you're getting given you know great advice and and uh, acknowledgement that you're doing a good job but I mean in terms of people in general telling you that you are something or critics because I think that's completely it's it's not helpful it doesn't help you know um, yeah you've got to keep your your eye on what what you're doing and do your job well and and um connect with people that you're working with rather than all the fluff that surrounds the industry and there's so much fluff sometimes you can't see because of all the fluff in your face you know <laughs> yeah but no I think you're like obviously no you're right and I think that's great that you you learn that so early just to focus on what you're doing because that's all you can do there's nothing you can change yeah. I mean 
admittedly, you, you had some very good people that you were working with at, up to the age of 19 to help you with that as well. I mean, I mean, to what with Billy Connolly, James McAvoy, Kevin McKidd, and of course, uh, your, your good friend, David Snedden. Uh, from Game <laughs> Academy as well. I mean, all by name. I don't 19. know if I'd say I'm, I'd worked with David Sneddon. We did well, a show called Earthcrack when we were when I was fourteen. But yeah, you're right. I've been. I was surrounded, but I didn't know that though when we were kids. Like I did later went on and, and worked with James on Filth as I played his wife in Filth. Um, but I didn't when we were all together as teenagers. We just thought every teenager was every teenage youth group was ex- as exciting as this. We didn't realise really that we had something incredibly special. But I knew actually with James, because um, he's remained a great pal and he's actually the patron of the youth theatre that I run, Edinburgh Youth Theatre, and he's been incredibly generous with his time and just as a pal throughout the years on different yeah. occasions. But he is such a hard worker. And when you work with him, and this is from back when he was 15 up until whatever age he is now, and my experience of, of working with him on filth, it's always about the scene for him. It's not about his character. So it's never about, you know, you, you do work with cat actors that you're like, stop thinking about your stuff. Let's try and find what the scene is about. And when you when you are committed to what the scene is about, you automatically are not an arrogant person. You're not, you know, someone that is worried about how they look. So, and that was the great thing. And it's always been the great thing about James, that it's about the art. And he's a very, very generous and kind person uh, and a hard worker and very brave though I think that ultimately he's not really yeah. scared of of failing yeah and not he is absolutely a top bloke however <laughs> it is about you this podcast oh sorry okay <laughs> I think I was um, trying to detract no. from David Snedden because I don't think he should get a title in my, in my life sorry. you didn't even get oh, no. <laughs> sorry David you know, you're going to get edited out <laughs> Um, but no, James is a top lad. He was actually my mentor. Uh, leaving oh, great. Okay. Well. Um, but yes, he is a top man. But I'm sorry, James. Sorry, it's sorry, about you. No, it's about me. Jeez, come on. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so uh, you'd left drama school. Um, you had this wonderful experience at drama school. But then I would say was your first sort of like real sort of big break spooks. Yeah. So I got spooks when I was 21. Um, and I I loved it. I, what I didn't I loved the experience of it. We shot it. The first series were shot was shot at Pinewood. So, you know, there's that uber excitement. I was unfortunately I was living in the East End and Pinewood is way out the west. So it's like a two-hour car drive to get there. But I didn't care because I was shooting you know, primetime television, and I was being a spy. It was, it was brilliant. Yeah. And there was, we had David O'Yellowell and Nicola Walker. It was, you know, Kira Knightley and uh, Matthew McFadgen, but then it, Matthew McFadgen left, and then it was Rupert Penry Jones and Peter Firth. And it was, you know, but, but up until my, I just had a series of fortunate events in my life, and I was sort of not used to a great cast, but I thought, well, this is like, the natural progression. I'd shot a movie <laughs> in the Outer Hebrides and I thought, okay. Oh, actually, I did um, oh, something with David Morrissey, just a very small thing uh, that gave me enough money to move down. What was it called? Because McAvoy was in it. I can't remember. State of place. State of place. So that sort of gave me, my mum was like, you're not moving to London, Shauna, unless you've got some money. It's like, oh, bollocks. And I didn't have any money. But luckily, 
I got a little job that gave me enough money to to pay for rent for a month and then I got spooks. By that time, my agent Anne Coulter had been extremely kind and said, I know you want to move to London. I don't want to hold you back. Uh, here's the details of a friend of mine called Ruth Young. Back then it was, um, oh God, Peter Fraser and Dunlop, PFD. PFD yeah, yes. it's now United Agents. And I did meet with other agents, but she was amazing. She's also a McAvoy Bloomin' agent. And she's Killian Murphy's agent, James Corden's agent. You know, she's got big wigs on her list. And um, so that was a very smooth transition and really generous of Anne not to hold on to a client who was doing well and could see that I was a young girl that wanted to just go and fly off to London. And she knew that Ruth would have more contacts at that time anyway. I'm sure Anne's got loads now, but that, this is, we're talking to eight years ago. Um, that's amazing yeah. about that? it's like, I mean that's an amazing thing for an agent to do yeah um, amazing and then my big sort of break in terms of um, doing a part that was super challenging and has reaped loads of um, rewards I guess was when I got The Descent which is a horror film yes. about six women that go caving and uh, I actually left my contract with Spooks I was I was unhappy with Spooks, how, how it ended, because I didn't really know what to do with my character, and I ended up being like a glorified tea lady in the storyline. I thought, oh, this is not why I came down to London to be, a, you know, the person, the character that drops off the files so that the spies can go off and do the exciting stuff. So they were um, very gracious and said, that's fine. She can totally leave. That's we had no problem with her leaving the show. And I went. That's oh. a bit, no, but that's still a very big decision, especially at a very yeah. young age. I mean, I think you, it you're wasn't probably about twenty three or something at that point. Yeah, I don't think it was a big decision because I was so young. I think now it would be a bigger decision because I've got three dependents. Uh, I've got three daughters, and I think now to take a risk. There's there's other things. It's not just me involved. Back then, uh-huh, right? You know? So back then you were like that. Come on, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I'm moving on. Exactly. I don't want to be paid. You were paid a retainer, you know. And the filming yeah. lasted six months, and I was doing nothing for weeks. And I go in for a day, and I was bored. I was so bored, and I just wanted to act. And actually, before I left, I went. I, I went and did uh, a view from the bridge at Birmingham Rep. And I toured to the West Yorkshire Playhouse and I was just acting again. And I was sort of almost close to the buzz that I'm always trying to chase at youth theatre. And I thought, oh, no, I've got to. And it just sort of secured in my head that I had to leave. Because when you, the sad thing about when you join a television show, you don't really know what's going to happen to your character. And there's nothing, there's no regulations or there's nothing on the side of the actor that sort of um, uh, makes them tell you what you can get paid they say, okay, well, we'll pay you for so many days, but they might pay you and just not do anything with your character. And for me, I'd rather, you know, be on screen and not get paid. Well, I'd rather get paid, but I don't want to be. <laughs> it's never been for the money. It's never, ever been for the money. And and now I can't see how it will ever be for the money, but I've never made decisions because the money was good, you know. Anyway, so I got the oh, dissent, which was which was incredibly exciting. We shot it in uh, we shot it in Pinewood as well. These massive sets made to look like caves. And uh, we shot some in the Highlands as well, but it was made made out to be the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, we were meant to be out in America doing it. And um, it's become this 
cult movie now because it's old. Yeah, it's a huge hit. Yeah, and uh, that was incredibly surprising and brilliant because it was six women. It was six female characters. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad that that is still unusual and we when we were getting interviewed after it started to get a little bit of traction and you know people getting interested about it and it was supposed to start a revolution for women in genre films but also um you know uh, it was meant to splay out from that and just you know it it was about they talked about girl power all the time and I hate that phrase but back then it wasn't so naff and um yeah we were you know lots of our interviews were around it's a feminist movie and I'm like it's not a feminist movie because the girls are pretty horrible to each other at points it's a it just happens to have females in it and therefore maybe by definition is a feminist movie but you know I, I love talking about that film in terms of when you know I do conventions I didn't do conventions for years because in my head I'd convinced myself that conventions were a little bit naff and actually what happens at convention is you meet people who are so incredibly excited to meet you because of the work that you've done and not because yeah. of you being an actor. It's because specifically the character you've played in a film that they love and they want to talk to you about the film. And, and I thought, actually, this is a really nice thing to do. But, you know, I'm still, people still want to do Descent podcasts and, you know, it's insane. I went to South Korea a couple of years ago with a film called The White Chamber, which I won the BAFTA for. And it's just this tiny film, yes. tiny film that we shot in two and a half weeks, two weeks, actually, 12 days, 12 days. And I thought, God, low budget horror, nobody, no. And I actually did that job to kind of get back into it. And I didn't think anything about it going anywhere at all. Anyway, so I'm in South Korea. They're, they're showing this movie and I'm like, how have we gotten it in this festival? Um, and the government put loads of money into their film festival and it was just this incredible, this longest, longest red carpet I've ever walked down in my life and this massive, massive um, firework display. Anyway, I was invited to be on a panel of all females talking about the role of women in genre filmmaking. And I and I was like, what? You want me? What? And <laughs> so in South Korea, I'm actually taken seriously. It's so weird. But back here, I'm sort of taken seriously, I guess, in terms of in the genre world. I've got a sort of, I guess, maybe a level of respect because I've done five horror films. But often... You, um you are known as a scream queen. A scream queen, yeah. I, I did, yes, this is something I've, I've, I've found that you are very much a scream queen. I didn't know of that title. Yeah, um, it's a bit naff because <laughs> I don't think I've screamed a whole lot. It, it just gives you connotations of women no, running it's away. A, but, yeah. but it's a crown that, you know, you know I'll fucking wear. <laughs> it's mine. I'll wear it. I'll work That's it. Only- yeah. It's only because you've done like great jobs and great performances yeah. in horror films. That's yeah. that's the thing. So it's a uh, it's a great thing to have. Yeah. So you know the horror film has actually seems odd to say it, but they've been really kind in horror. You kind of think it's going to be this, I don't know, this sort of dark filmmaking land of people with long fingernails and you know who are obsessed with blood. And actually, it's usually a a bunch of young. I was going to say a bunch of guys, but that's not true at all. But a bunch of people who actually find 
find blood and guts funny and um but also they've just they've got this sort of childlike glee about things about filming and because when you're getting your you know working out how to scare an audience and to and to you know make an audience feel you know have a sort of jolt it's sort of I guess a similar way of how you'd work out how to make an audience laugh you know so there's lots of it's a creative filmmaking process that I kind of have understood now um I mean the descent it wasn't a laugh a minute and I've I've done lots of films horror films that are not a laugh a minute and that's not really what I'm saying but I'm saying in general this (laughs) this world has surprised me this horror world that how um, how creative and fun and um actually really kind people are and uh, is a proper community well, I was going to ask you that because obviously, since the de- the descent obviously was massive hit, mm-hmm. and then you had a sequel because of that. Mm. But then you've also done Mutant Chronicles, Nails, Howl, like mm-hmm. you just said, uh, White Chamber as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have those things found you because of the success of the descent, or do you yeah. like? I didn't. Do you really like that genre as well? Mm-hmm. I didn't audition for any of them. Put it like that. Um, they are, well, there you go. They, they did find you. They did find <laughs> me, and I did them. At, you know, I was pretty adamant after I did the descent. I did. There was loads of horror films coming my way that I just didn't want to do because I didn't want to be the horror girl, and I didn't want to be. And there was loads of crap nonsense. Like you read the script, and it's like there's a girl in her underwear, uh, handcuffed to a bed on his, and it, the mattress is stained, yeah. and there's blood across her face, and I'm like. Fuck off. I'm not playing that. Nobody wants to see that. None of the audience I want want to see that. So I'm not going to be part of that game. So I was quite picky. And, you know, I would only do a horror film if I was interested in the part. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a very successful horror film, but it had to be something that was challenging and challenged me and was different to Sarah from The Descent. And, um, yeah, and it's, I will, the thing is, like I said before, you all you can do, the only power you have as an actor is to say no to jobs, and often there are no jobs, and then I'll get a good horror film on my desk that, I don't actually have a desk, I don't know why I said desk, it just makes me sound more <laughs> professional, like sitting on my sofa <laughs> with no script. Yeah, I was like, you didn't, like... <laughs> You could have just left that there, but no, now we know. If you've got a total different image. Like. I'm usually in the hall on the stairs because all my children have just taken over the house. But, um, and if it's, you know, and if I think it's a role that I, I never play the genre, so I never do silly faces, I never do sort of screams. I always try and find the truth of the scene. And I think that is why the genre likes what I do with the scripts I try and make it a real character in an unreal situation so I always try and ground the characters to to be someone that because ultimately you have to care about whether they live or die if you don't if yes. you, you know if you can't relate to them at all you don't really care when they're in peril you know I think that's the thing I think that's uh, the thing with the horror genre is that sometimes the danger is it's just all about shock factor and the story and the characters can just go in some of the bad horror films that there's no real story or yeah. care it's just like oh like how gory can it be or whatever Exactly but um, there's so many fans out there cuz there's so many sub um sub genres that 
the the gory gory ones will suit the gory gory fans and you know it's so it's incredible <laughs> yeah. i've met yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. different they will survive uh, it's quite cheap and it's also very cheap to make make a horror film as well but anyway uh enough about other horror films once again (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about we're talking about you diverting the attention um um, but talking about lead women like uh, a group of women uh in a film uh you did wedding bells as well oh yes i did um, that was super fun yeah with philip john the director um who also went on to do moondogs which is a great film uh so that was michelle gomez kathleen mcdermott uh, Shirley Henderson and myself and that was brilliant I loved it I was at the very early stages of my first pregnancy though and I felt like shit and um, but which was quite <laughs> lucky because I was playing a crack addict and I wasn't supposed to look good at all um, and also my character because she's grieving she kind of goes off into her own there's a kind of she, she goes off away from the the other three who are having you know lots of parties and stuff so I had a lot of, I kind of remember thinking, oh, I wish my character got to go to the party or go to the pub um, so I could sort of, you know, hang out with the other three a wee bit more. But it was brilliant. I loved it. And, uh, and yeah, Michael Fassbender was in that movie, weirdly. And I don't know if you, he just, this is before he was Fassbender. <laughs> it's so bonkers. Um, but, you know, we shot it in Edinburgh and it, is an Irvin Welsh film, my first Irvin Welsh film. He he wrote it with uh, Dean Kavanagh, so it he wrote the screenplay. It's not one of his books that yeah. I've gone to And I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the experience. It was great telly. Well, it was a film for telly. It was Channel Four. Yeah. yeah. And you and um, you say Fastbender was in it, but do you know who else was in it? Were you in it? I was in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Before I was Rooney. Uh, no, I was just exactly the same as I am now. <laughs> hey, but I was in it. I was in it. That I did a little, a little cameo uh, talking about a patient uh, who had an erection. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the guys in the old folks' home. Oh, Ralph Reich, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, the line was, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you need to go check him out. And she was like, why, what's up? And I went, his cock. And that was me. That's a great line, though. That is a great line. That was a really, it was a really good couple of lines. And I was like, oh, that's a lovely cameo. Um, Oh, that's To be in the Northern Welsh number as well as as a Scotsman, I was very proud. Um, And it was great. It was such a great time. Um, So uh, we've not not really talked about, obviously, like um, additions and stuff like that. because you say that the horror scripts kind of started coming through and they were just uh, asking if you wanted to play the roles. Mm-hmm. And w- when when you went for uh, The Descent, uh, was it uh, quite a big addition? Did, what what mm. happened for that? So I had three, actually four rounds to that, really. And um, the first edition, I think I... Did I read by myself? But I remember after that, I was reading with... Um, Alex Reed, who plays Beth. So they cast Beth first. I think they, she was the first girl to be cast. And Neil Marshall had me crawling through a tunnel he'd made with chairs in spotlight with his camcorder. And, you know, I I knew from the very <laughs> well, beginning. Like, if anyone doesn't know, Spotlight is just, it's, it's basically just a place in the centre of London. It's got various different addition rooms. Yeah. Um, Okay, I love I love that. This this is brilliant already. So they'd lined up some chairs in an office. You're in an office, 
yes. pretending to be stuck under a chair and then you've got to try and make the magical leap down the lens that it looks like you're stuck in a cave and you're trying to get out. And so, you know, they did take a while to decide that they wanted me. And then we had a screen test at Pinewood and they were te- they told us it was, you know, to test the cameras and the lighting, but we were all like, no, it's not really. <laughs> you're still testing us. But luckily we all, <laughs> we all passed the test. And then, do you know what? I met up with the... Uh, not Natalie couldn't make it both times, but the other five, we had Zoom calls. I did one a couple of days ago, and I did one actually on my birthday in April. So we're now all, I've been in touch with them, but we're now all properly back in touch. And it's just so nice. It was just such an incredible experience that we all went through and we're great friends. Actually, Saskia Mulder, who's in it, is now a top agent, and she's now Miana Burring's um, agent, who's also in it. So it's it's got you know we're a group of amazing women now and back then I guess we were just sort of young young women at the start of our career and we didn't know what would happen with the descent we didn't know what would happen with our lives you know and between us now I think we've got we've got six kids between us now so it's just yeah you've got half because I don't (laughs) do things my half I've got it like go over and above like I used to run marathons and then that wasn't enough so I didn't I did an Ironman I mean I'm mental like that I'll do I'll do too much like the situation I'm in now like I told you I've gone back to school gone back to study I'm doing a master's and I'm dyslexic. It's ridiculous. I can't actually read. <laughs> so I'm now, now finding myself in a situation. Where, but I'll do it. I know I will do it, but I just sort this of This is totally into the inspirational podcast. Just keep yeah. going. But I don't know. We don't know how it's going to end. So I'm not sure if it is inspirational. It's sort of learn, learn when to say no, Shauna. That's really what I should learn from this podcast. I'm just, this is like my therapy session. <laughs> I should have said no to a few things. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment there, I thought you were like saying that you should have said no to this. No, I was like, no, I was like, no, I was like no. learn to say Wait, no, no, Shauna. <laughs> no. You could have done like so much in this hour that you've been talking to Graham. I should have executed my right as an actor to say no, but just put it into uh, life situations. Because just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. You know what I mean? Just because you can have three children doesn't necessarily mean one one should have three children just you know things like that just you know anyway I like to be busy you can maybe tell um so that's why I I say yes to lots of things why 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 have you had three kids well I like to be busy I like to be busy not nothing to do with love and what you want in your life no no just like being busy you know I had a, bit of, a couple of spare hours and I thought, you know what, I need a third child. <laughs> oh, man, that's ridiculous. No, my, my girls are amazing. But you know what? It is, it's sort of sometimes, not so much now, they're a wee bit older. So there's, they're 13, 10 and uh, 7. So things have chilled out a little bit. You know, you're not, at one point when we had three under six years old, it was mental. You know, you don't think, you don't have the possibility to even think about attending an audition. I remember getting really stressed out. I had to go for an audition for the RSC who never have never since asked me to be seen. And this was the only chance I got. My youngest was really wee. I went and I I was so tired. I was so tired. And they sent me the script. I think it was the white devil. 
And I had to read the script, then choose a monologue. And, you know, I'm like, dyslexic. So being able to read a script is really hard because I'll read it and I'll have no idea what I've read. Anyway, so I got it. You, sorry, you didn't know this at the time? You were dyslexic? No, I didn't. Did I just thought it was a bit dim, which was quite distressing. You just think you're just not getting it. But, you know, you put in coping mechanisms and, and ways that you think, Everybody has to say their words out loud and go for a run saying them and, you know, say them for at least a week before in their, you know, to themselves before it's ready for the public. And people are like, no, Shauna, I can just like sit down at a table and they've gone into my brain. I'm like, well, there was a few alarm bells ringing throughout my career. But but also, you know, like I say, at that point, I was so tired as well. And I think, you know, I'm just not getting enough sleep. So I go down and I phone my lovely friend Miana from The Descent and I'm like, I'm in London for this edition. Can you just hold ever, just make sure she doesn't die for an hour, it's my youngest, and um, that's your job done. She'll be fine. So I go into the edition and everything is just unravelling. It's just so clear to me. I don't understand it properly. I don't, I haven't orientated myself around the play, around the words, nothing's grounded and I'm confused at the situation I'm in and confused at the play and the piece and confused with everything because it's sort of coupled with being ridiculously tired and I left going oh they'll never know how much effort I put into that to get it so wrong as well and I actually don't quite know how to do it because like you say at the time I wasn't I just thought I just thought it was a bit thick. I honestly thought it was a bit thick. Anyway, thankfully, turns out I'm not thick, but all when you have problems with reading and cognition, nobody can actually solve it for you. So it's not like there's a huge revelation or an epiphany when you when you get any sort of diagnosis. You get coping mechanisms, but you've still got to go through everything. And um, you've got to put things in place which take a lot of time. And sometimes you've just got to except that your speed of working is going to be twice as slow as the next person so yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's a it's a it's a real bummer it's I I teach lots of kids and um young people and I remember very distinctly I was teaching this young girl she was uh 13 at the time and I handed her a monologue and says look just read that through um just try and um you know and I gave her some things to think about I can't quite remember what it was so it wasn't vague it was specifics that she had to find out and I I said I'll come back in 20 minutes and see how you're doing and we can have a chat about it and I went around the class and then came back and she'd learned it she had learned the whole thing and not only had she learned it she understood what she was saying and why she was saying it and I was like you have no idea how lucky you are (laughs) that is such a gift um you know so Especially, yeah, because there's some plays that obviously, like, there's like you know, uh, a one one woman show, one man show, whatever. Um, Which I've done, we, yeah. And that is just, yeah, so so much work. Like, and some people, mm-hmm. like, I mean, some people have photographic memories, and they literally just read it through. Yeah. And it's done. That's it. No, it's and a, like, for me. It's a lot of work, and I have done lots of wordies. I did a one woman show on a treadmill when I was pregnant, which was really ridiculous. So the Gary McNair play. I didn't know I was going to be pregnant when I got the job and then I fell pregnant. And I didn't tell the director because I thought he's going to freak out. It was my third pregnancy and I'd done a lot of running and I knew I would be fine. But yeah, I thought, mm, 
Oh, this is tricky. So anyway, so I'm 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 rehearsing, and after the first week, we only had two weeks to rehearse it in. So I'd put in a lot of hours up until that point, and actually. I wasn't really worried about the running. I was worried about learning lines. And I said to Gary, listen, Gary, I'm pregnant. Please don't Google running whilst pregnant. Don't Google it because you're going to freak out. But it's too late for you to recast, mate, because I've learned all the lines and we go up in 10 days. So you're just going to say in 10 minutes. <laughs> you're just going exactly. to have to deal with it. Um, so it's fine. But yeah, things like that. Like, And um, I did um, uh, Kieran Hurley's play Mouthpiece. And my character in that play, it's just a two-hander. So we're on stage for 90 minutes nonstop. But there's a, a five-minute monologue in the middle, just, you know, just for Libby, just to have a five-minute monologue. But I, I, um, we were on tour just before lockdown, actually, in March in New Zealand, and we all had to come back. And Travers released a, a, a sort of online version called Declan, which I was going to be involved in, and then they no longer needed my assistance, so I didn't get to do it. Anyway, whatever, I'm not bitter. So as a sort of protest, just <laughs> somewhere somewhere to vent my frustrations that I felt that character had been silenced and it was the whole half of a whole piece. How can you? I sort of, I, <laughs> Kieran must think I'm mental. I recorded myself doing the speech just to see if I could. And I started to do the first take, and I thought, oh, I'm trying to work out. And then I just sat down and recorded the whole speech. I think it ran at six minutes. I was obviously milking it too much. And I sent it to <laughs> Kieran. But it's in my head now because it's gone from short-term memory to long-term memory. And that's why I find additions and things so difficult because it, it remains in short-term until it's so ingrained it goes into long-term. And that's when... Things like being on stage and, and, and doing big speeches isn't a problem because it's gone to the other part of the brain that deals yes. with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we're on stage uh, at the moment, a couple of, couple of good questions I always like to ask uh, in this podcast. Uh, first one, have you ever had a terrible review? Yeah. That you could remember <laughs> you wish to tell us about? Yeah, I've had two. Like, so I did a show called uh, View from the Bridge that I talked about before. And my voice has always been my Achilles heel. Having a lisp and just... I remember at the, the academy, they worked really hard with my voice, not necessarily about the lisp. I've got a bit of a lazy tongue now. I wouldn't necessarily call it a lisp. But just, I guess I've got a tendency maybe to go higher. And I should root, root your voice, always root your voice. And I was doing yeah. a, an accent, a New York accent, and I was playing a young girl. And I think I think it changed, It did change throughout the um the weeks and I did root it but I remember I got a horrible review that talked about my squeaky voice and I was so gutted because they pointed out the thing that I most that I hate the most about myself and I oh. it was really awful but yeah that's brutal. I'm always um not when I'm I'll probably listen to this back and go, God, you sound about 12, fuck's sake, can you just root your voice? But, um, <laughs> I'm, I don't actually, I was thinking when we first started speaking, I was like, she sounds wonderfully articulate. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah, you've got maybe, lovely. Until, lovely until she starts to act, and then <laughs> it goes <laughs> wrong. But I'm always aware, especially when I do an accent, that's the trick, isn't it, when you do accents, to make the accent sound like it's coming from you, and sometimes yeah. sort of automatically going in a red that's not really how you would place it if it was your own accent so there was that one and also in a film I did 
with this amazing director called Giuseppe Tornatori, who did Cinema Paradiso. And I had a couple of scenes with Olga Korienko and uh, Jeremy Irons was my dad in it. Anyway, so it, it talked about how I was wooden. <laughs> and mm. I, what I was going for was grief-stricken. And um, <laughs> grief stricken and you got wooden. I got wooden. I thought, oh god. So those have been good clangers. Um, <laughs> but oh, well, look, we, like you just can't be an actor for if no. you're an actor for any number of years, you're just never ever going to get like all the way great reviews. No, you're going to get some brutal ones some at brutal some point. Ones. And do you know what? <sighs> I remember being nervous on set for the Giuseppe Tornatori thing, so maybe it came across, and I do now, so I try and, you know, make sure I've at least shaken it off a wee bit before I start talking, and I do try and root my voice if I can remember amidst all the other stuff you've got to think about. So, you know, try and take the good from it. I really don't like reviews anyway though because there's so many bloggers out there that yeah. it's opinion it's a narrative and an opinion and uh, uh so yeah they're they're funny things i wonder what what world it would be like if we didn't have any uh critics <laughs> ah well that's never gonna happen so we'll never know we'll never know yeah um, a bit, is there anything gone tits up for you on stage at all? Has there ever been a horrific moment? Um... I don't know if you would say it was horrific. When I was doing the one woman show um, on a treadmill, it's about this woman who's running a, a race, uh, an ultra marathon, and uh, she's trying to decide during her run whether she should have the operation. Uh, she's got epilepsy you can get this operation which essentially takes a bit of your brain away and stops seizures it was um inspired by a long distance runner um oh whose name escapes me donna someone i can't remember anyway so i'm, I'm running on the treadmill and i do yeah. the deadly thing of i'm saying words and in my head i say to myself it's going really well tonight and then <laughs> I, it's like a blackness it's like it's like every fluid in your body goes to the ground and then you become heavy and then you can feel feel it rising back up. And But instead of fluid, it's just like liquid panic, you know? And you just, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I just thought, and luckily I was on a treadmill because I thought, right, just keep fucking running. Just keep running. <laughs> keep running, Shauna. Keep running. Oh, and breathe. Breathe, Shauna. Breathe. You've, you've stopped breathing. Breathe, because it'll be the brain. Brain, you know, oxygen. Come on. So I, I breathed, and I ran, and I breathed, and I ran, and I breathed, and I ran, and I breathed, and I ran. And then something came to me. And then because this script, like I talked to you about, had gone into kind of a long-term memory. I started to speak and it was like a muscle memory, like when you learn the piano and if you think about it too much, your your fingers stop, but if you just let it go, you're fine. Yes. So my mouth was doing that while my brain was going, what have I forgotten? What bit of the storyline do I really have to say? Because also this whole one-woman show had loads of special effects, lighting effects, cued off my line, so I couldn't go off piece. I had to stick to the text because it was all, all the visuals were building up. Anyway, I finally managed to sort of stumble my way through it. 
And when I got off stage, I checked the script and it was literally three lines, three lines of dialogue that had completely just escaped my brain. And, uh, and it was okay. It was okay. But I had no idea until I checked the script what actually had had missed because it was like someone had taken it out of my brain, like stolen it from my head. I just, yeah. there was nothing. And so th- that was, you know, what, it's awful because I was on stage by myself. There was nobody to save me. And when I was doing a view from the bridge, I I had a scene where I had to, my uncle Eddie comes home and my auntie Beatrice is there and I'm really excited and I'm telling them the news and my auntie Beatrice goes, hold on a minute, go and get the bread, go and cut that bread or get the breakfast or whatever it is. So I go up upstage. This is obviously in, in Brooklyn, so they don't quite sound like how I'm talking. Go get that bread. Go on. Cut the bread. So I'm cutting through this loaf and I feel these hands on my shoulders and I turn round and it's Abigail who's playing my auntie and she's looking at me like I'm a weirdo and she's like, Catherine, do you want do you want to tell Eddie about your your good news? And I was like, Ooh! I just been. I was so. I was so in the moment of cutting the bread. It was like a drama exercise where you just just think about the bread. I was so focused on the bread. I'd almost forgot. I was forgot. I was on stage. I, I kind of forgot. And then so she was making a sandwich. <laughs> making a sandwich. So she hauled me um, downstage and just sort of pushed me forward and like muscle memory. I was like, oh yeah, I've got a job of a snorer. And oh God. So it's it's just moments like that when your brain is working against you and you kind of are not in the place where you should be. I've never luckily had any accidents. Although in that production, Eddie Carboni did get kicked full on the face uh, by the guy playing, um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, and he had steel toe caps and he had to get rushed to hospital so yeah it was awful it was awful his eye exploded on stage and I mean so I've been part of mishaps but never fortunately directly to me yet but I'm touching lots of wood because it will happen yeah, touch touch that desk of yours oh yes my right. next solid desk <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that you've got in front of you my oak oh. desk um and also, uh, I mean, you've kind of you you kind of already mentioned one, but uh, do you have a particular worst addition that you've had? I've had so many bad additions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's not that long a podcast, so uh, <laughs> you could pick one. That would be good. <laughs> it seems. Oh God, I've had so many bad ones. I mean, advert auditions are, are really horrific. Anyway, I remember going for an audition for a car. And I go in and the casting director explains to me, okay, so your character, you um, you, you find yourself, you realise that you're shrinking and mm-hmm. you, <laughs> you're, you get so small and you look over and you see there's a massive cat and then you look to your right and then you see there's a car and you're really excited. So you go and then you run and you get into the car and you start the engine and you drive away from the cat. And I was like, you want you want me to act that? And she's like, <laughs> yes. So, so I just, I didn't do a good job and it was embarrassing and I hated her and I hated the audition and I hated my life because I thought, what am I doing? I'm not five. I'm not five. I'm not. Dude, I mean, adverbs can definitely make you question what oh, you are doing. It's absolutely awful. I've had to, um, what else? God, Oh, I know. Generally, when 
Oh, so I'll learn lines so well that they're ingrained, but I'll make it look like um, you know they're natural. So one may think, "Wow, she's so good at just lifting lines off the page." Because I'll I'll sometimes keep the script in my hand. It's just a prop. I I know my lines, but I'll keep the script in my hand so that the casting director will go, "Wow, this is how good she is in the room." Just think what she's going to be like on set. Little do they know this is about where it stops. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This, this is, is actually a hundred percent. This is hundred percent. And but then they'll go, oh great, oh that's really great. Oh, listen, I know. Oh, just while we're all here in the space, can we just can we just try this other scene? And I'll say yes because you know I should maybe just say no. See, I'm learning. Say no. Just say no. I know, but. If at the same time, imagine they did do that and went, "Do you want to try this other scene? This would be great." And you went, "No, no, exactly." I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come across great that you were that, but that like that. But that's when I explode because when I when I sight read, I don't sound, I don't, I don't stumble over the words. I just sound like a really bad actor. That's the result. So I will always screw it if I've done really well in the next sort of hoop or the thing that they want to explore, a new scene that they really want to have fun with, um, I will always fail at it. So, And that happened yes. in something called Servants. I did so. This is years ago. And uh, they were really excited, and it was a great role. It was, And I uh, got really far, and then they, they asked me to do, read another scene that I hadn't, I hadn't prepared. And they were like, ah, <laughs> I see. <laughs> it was a fluke. The first two scenes were a fluke, and this is the real actor, you know? <laughs> Scratch, up, scratch that <laughs> yeah. name off now. Yes. Thank you very much, Shauna. Um, <laughs> just like when they always say, like, you have a nice life as you leave, basically. Nice They're just like that. You're like, <gasps> okay, I know. I know I've not got that. That's oh, awful. Um, well, there's a few other things I just want to talk about before we come to our final, final quick fire questions that I always do on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we we briefly uh, went across uh, Filth, which is a brilliant sort of uh, urban Welsh film with James McAvoy, your good friend. To get you've worked with him uh, a few times, haven't you? Uh, well, um, he keeps following me around. I'm like, James, gonna leave me alone, mate. It's really embarrassing. What? He yeah, he is a bit of a pain in the arse, isn't he? He just won't <laughs> leave me alone. He's always talking about all the times he's worked with me and all these podcasts he does. And I'm like, James, it's just come on. <laughs> um, but how how was that? How was being his wife? How was being McAvoy's wife? Uh, well, I have some notes for him. Um, <laughs> like... uh, no, it was great fun. It was great fun. And my part, uh, not to, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I knew that they couldn't they couldn't really cut me out that much because it was quite integral to the way it all sort of ends up at the end and. I got lots of great. I, I looked, I looked like the dog's bollocks. It was three hours in makeup and whole like body makeup to give me a cleavage and like flawless skin. And they wanted to kind of nineteen forties fifties film star. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So it was great. I knew that they had to make me look, but actually, weirdly, the <laughs> I thought I looked amazing, and then you've no real idea how they're going to light it and stuff. And I'd never watch myself back unless there's something technical that I'm not understanding, and I'll ask to see the frame. I don't like watch myself back because I, I think if if I think I've done a good job, I relax, and if I think I've done a bad job, I just hate myself for the rest of the day. So I don't find it useful. 
So when I saw the <laughs> film back, there was moments I thought, oh my God, I look like a drag queen. I look really severe and harsh. And I meant to, I realized I meant to be this kind of, sometimes she's a sort of sex symbol. Sometimes she's almost this nightmarish figure. And But anyway, on set, <laughs> I was like, I am rocking this. This is brilliant. I, <laughs> I look a million I dollars. Am back. Yeah, I am totally back. And that was a great point in my career because I knew I'd had two kids and this is this was me starting to sort of get back into the door of additions where there, it was for big stuff. And I flew back from filth and went straight into uh, rehearsals for King Lear at the Citizens Theatre. And I'd always wanted to do Shakespeare, but with my crappy brain, uh, or not my crappy brain, but, but with my challenges of reading and sometimes speaking <laughs> great attributes for yeah. an actor, um, I thought, God, I'm never going to, I'm never going to do Shakespeare. And I did, and I loved every second of that. And um, so I was on a bit of a roll. I was really, that was a really exciting sort of six months of my life and filth was great and it was very film starry we, we, we were in Hamburg Hamburg and we drove through to Berlin to watch Sting in a concert and then went to Soho uh Berlin Soho uh what's it called um Soho House in Berlin and hung out with, yeah. with Stingo uh because Trudy Styler gave some her production company uh, was involved in the film and anyway, I remember being in Soho House with Sting and you get called over. You don't just sort of sit next to Sting. You get called over <laughs> and I'm sit. they're like, oh, Sting would like to see you now. I'm like, oh, would he? Great. Fantastic. Let's have a chin wag. So I went over <laughs> and I was speaking to Sting or Stingo as a... Uh, uh, Trudy calls him and we're just chatting he's talking about you know back in northern northern England and all that and then someone comes over and asks for his autograph so he graciously signs it and does it and then he turns to me and he says can I ask you a question I went yeah he went Shauna how do you deal with fame and I just burst out laughing I was like ah you have no idea who I am you think I am this <laughs> massive star because I'm with all these people you have no idea me and I'm like listen mate my level of, of fame is when when I go to John Lewis with my husband Cal who's an actor he'll always get recognized and I'm left holding the kids hands because the women at John Lewis are his like wholesome family viewing fans so I am never recognized anywhere I just thought god this is mental and that was you know, it was a really fun kind of, uh, it's Irvin Welsh and the Irvin Welsh films, the ones I've been in, they're, they're depraved in like the delicious sense of the word that you can sort of, the script can go anywhere. Everything is on the table and it's the challenge actually is trying to find like the heart of the piece. So yeah. you have characters that, people can root for even when they're doing despicable things or you really don't agree with their moral choices you know so the whole experience of filth was just brilliant because it was just so much fun really like the script was brilliant everybody knew it was there was gems to it but you had you know you had Jim Broadbent you had Shirley Henderson <coughs> you had obviously James McAvoy you had Eamon Elliott you know you had all these amazing actors in it Jamie Jamie Bell, Bell exactly <laughs> uh Kate Dickey you know every great 
actor possible was doing it and I thought god I have to enjoy every minute of this and I got to <clears throat> go to Sweden Berlin <clears throat> Hamburg it was brilliant really brilliant yeah. It was a brilliant film to watch, um, and like you say, Irvin Welsh stuff is is amazing. It, it truly is amazing. It takes you on a journey. Yeah. Um, but you had another. You had another. Like, I mean, if you're saying that Irvin Welsh is iconic, of all iconic films ever, you were in Star Wars, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Yeah. How how was that as an experience? I've um I've not seen all the Star Wars yeah. and that. So, well. I'm not trying to be controversial. Oh, here it comes. But I didn't I didn't enjoy my experience because um I felt just like, like, like half the listeners have switched I off know, of the podcast. But it was a sort of it was probably to do it's more an ego thing and maybe it caught me in a really rubbish low point in sort of self-esteem. But I thought if you see it, I'm, I'm a glorified extra and I just got to watch all the actors do the acting and I was in the background and I felt really frustrated and really sad actually because I thought, because I was back yeah. at Pinewood where I'd done spooks in The Descent and, you know, had great things to do in, in those films. And I'm back at Pinewood and when you're so far down on the call sheet, the call sheet is basically the list of what you have to shoot that day and you're all assigned a number. And if you're number one on the call sheet, you essentially have the most screen time in the piece. And, you know, my number was, I don't know, 42 or something. I don't know. But um, it was just a bit depressing. I thought, oh, I'm a bit past it. I'm sort of, I'm back in the room, but I'm not allowed to play with anyone. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to... But thankfully, there was a few other actors who were in a kind of similar position as me. Dad and Moffat, Moffat for one, Moffat, and who was in Dog Soldiers. And we sort of, I came out the car in Pinewood and he came out the car and we're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What? So there was a few other actors that sort of, you know, realized that oh, we're just we're just extras. It was sold to us slightly differently. Um, but, you know, I got, I think, seven days uh, lots of hanging about, lots of walking about in a big black cape because nobody's allowed to see what's underneath. The thickest contract I've ever signed in my life. Um, yeah. Chatting with um, C-3PO quite a bit because he's a nice laugh and a lovely guy, Anthony. Um, but, yeah, it was. It felt weirdly a bit just like a, being a jobbing actor in lots of jobbing actor experiences I've done, which is usually you've got a day on Liar Part 2 or, you know, you're in an episode of Case Histories and you're just going in and out of it. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I think I wanted it. When I got told I got the part, I was like, what do you mean I've got the part in Star Wars? They didn't audition. Like, no, they've seen your showreel, Shauna. They think you're amazing. I'm like, what, my showreel? And then they, I said, well, what, what, what part? Like, well, we can't tell you. You've got to phone Nina Gold, who's a casting director, and you never phone the casting director. You just don't do it. So I phoned Nina, yeah. I phoned Nina and she's like, oh, darling, how are you? Long time no here. And I'm like, well, I think that's uh, purely coming from you. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not no... like I should be calling you every day, then <laughs> so you wouldn't I, be happy. Got no control over the situation. And she says, well, Ryan Johnson loved your show reel. I'm like, something smells fishy um, and he would love to offer you the part of uh, pilot of the resistance force number 42 or something like that so, oh it says well there's no there's no lines at the moment darling but I'm sure 
on the day and I'm like I am don't think I'm not I don't think they're going to break away from their storyboard that they have sweated over for years to give Shauna a line but anyway I was like that's fine so she told me briefly what my character did and I said well that sounds really cool I get to ride a speeder I get to go to all these different planets but of course what you what you're in is like a big massive warehouse with a green screen so you can be anywhere but it was it was cool you know people came on set you know Carrie Fisher was there and uh, you know a lot of the heron was there and you know Darren rather and it was it was great and I've got some cool pictures but like I said I want to do the acting I'm not I'm not doing it for any sort of prestige or doing anything that's just cool because it's cool or doing anything for the money I just want to do the acting and I don't want no, I don't want to watch yeah. the acting I'll go and see the movie if I want to watch the acting and you know the horrible irony of the whole bloody thing is that when it came out Cal and I my husband's also an actor we were so skin like we've been so skin at various points like what can we sell now we've already sold the car which child would get the most money you know um, and <laughs> That we couldn't we couldn't go to the cinema to watch it. We we didn't. I've not actually seen it. And by the time it came out on DVD, I was like, oh, do you know what? It doesn't matter. The, the moment's gone. The thrill of taking my kids to see me in the cinema in and yeah. has gone because mummy and daddy were so poor because we we're actors. I thought I just felt a bit sad about the whole thing. I've got a very a, a good friend of mine was uh, told me a story that she was. Um, she was in a film called, oh, I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, a film about weddings. And she was so skint living in London. And she got on the bus and she tried to get on the bus. This before Oyster Cars. She didn't have the right amount of change. And she was begging with the driver, please just let me on the bus. And he wouldn't let her on the bus. Anyway, she got off the bus crying. And as it pulled away, her face was on the side of the bus. And that is so true. Like, people think you're in work because they see your images but yeah. there's so many times in my life I've been out of work, really stressing about money because the horrible hold this industry has on us is that we have to be available to drop what we're doing to go for an addition or go for work. So then you get yourself in situations where you're in zero hours contracts or you just sort of hold out and hold out and hold out and hold out to the last possible minute um, and, you know, and just pray that, or hope, I'm not religious, hope that something comes along. Anyway, I don't want to go down a dark hole of despair. I do run Edinburgh Youth Theatre now, so I have um, a great um, company and I work with young people, so that sort of keeps me creatively going and also it does help to keep the wolf from the door at times as well. Oh, yeah, and that, no, that's an, that's an amazing thing yeah. uh, to be, like, you know, taking your experience, amazing experience from the fantastic things that you have done over your uh, career already. Yeah. And, and, and giving it back to kids. All right, Shauna McDonald. That means it is last order. So we're going to do some quick fire questions before we go and get our last pint. Um, I'll get you, of course, a pint uh, with some lime cordial in it. <laughs> obviously, Excellent. what you're a big fan of. Excellent. Good. <laughs> right. So here we go. Quick fire questions. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hidden talent? No. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have something. A hidden. A hidden yeah. talent. A hidden. Come on. I'm very good at making scones. Scones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. I've. 
I really do worry for your children <laughs> if you're specifying what you're good at cooking-wise and scones. I'm not a good cook. No, I don't really do the cooking. Scones. Oh. I, got, I used to bake aubergines too much and my kids rebelled. There was an intervention and they were like, Mum, I can't eat any more aubergines. So I'm like, fine. <laughs> scones <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Right, so you really don't have a hidden talent, basically, then, yeah. No, um, I don't. Hidden? God, actors are always asked to sort of do talent. To show it. Yeah. To put an asterisk beside it. Yeah, exactly. You think, exactly. Put it at the bottom. Highly to skilled. Lie, to lie. I can, I can lie. Apparently, I'm a really good horse rider. Oh, aren't we all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone is. Never even seen a horse, and people are highly skilled at horse riding. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, crap telly, like oh, Selling Sunset and things like that. Um, yeah, stuff on Netflix <laughs> that Cal will go to bed and read a book and be all clever and I'll be like, Selling Sunset or, you know, whatever, you know, the Ma- Marie Kondo thing about I love, I love rubbish telly. Oh, yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm like, I've been watching Bachelor. Oh, Have you yeah. ever seen Bachelor the American one? Yeah. Uh, it's terrible television. Oh, yeah, awesome. I get hooked on it. Um, do you have a pet hate? A pet hate. I don't like how, and I probably do it myself, parents boast about their children's successes. That annoys me. <laughs> I love it. You, could, Are yeah, they... you probably, you, you laugh. if anyone's listening who knows you, they'll be like, she does it all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, posting things all the time about, so I think you've got to be sensitive to that every every person, every child learns things at different stages. And I think you've just got to be a bit more sensitive. I think there should be a lot more sensitivity. Um, yeah. Uh, no, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that annoys me. Yeah. Do you have a bad habit? Bite my nails. I, I stop and then they get like claws and then I just bite them again. Yeah. Terrible, it's, disgusting. It's disgusting. It is. <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song? I don't do karaoke. I've got a terrible fear. I don't sing. I never sing. If I had to sing, I'd probably do uh, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> Vanilla Ice. I never saw that one coming in a million years. Yeah. Um, who is your favourite actress? I always say Tilda Swinton because it's easier because um, she's amazing and cool and everybody understands it when I say that. But there's so many, as long as an actor can affect me, they'll be my favourite. Who's your favourite actor? Mm, I'll have to say Cal Mackinnon, I suppose, eh? Because oh, well, of all the actors I want to hang about with, he'd be my favourite. So there you go. <laughs> Who's your idol growing up? Oh, my idol. Yeah. Oh. Now this could be anything. It doesn't have to be acting. It could be anything. Um. God, I kind of got a bit obsessed with Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. So, um, um, Claire Danes, I suppose, because I just wanted to be her in that film and have Leonardo DiCaprio 
crying about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a specific sort of angle on it. (laughs) We'll go with her. We'll go with Claire. And I do think she's amazing. So we'll go with Claire Danes. Because she is not scared of being big. Her acting is big and she does not care. And I love that. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Um, If you weren't a performer... What would you be? Well, I'd probably do more of what I do anyway, which is I would be like a youth worker, youth leader, youth theatre person, teacher. That's all. You can be all those things at the one time, by the way. That wasn't like another one of those (laughs) quick fire, Sean, on one answer. That was like... (laughs) Yeah, all right. You're just listing the job (laughs) centre. Brilliant. Well, that's it. Oh, Thank you welcome. very much, Shauna McDonald, for coming on to a performer, a paint, and a pod. You're welcome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I I feel I've uh, answered some of my own questions about my own self, and I know I should say no more. And I'm really looking forward to drinking the lager and lime. Excellent. So there we go. That was the brilliant actress and screen queen, Shauna McDonald, and what an amazing career. From crawling under office seats and running away from giant cats in additions to starring in hit films and TV shows such as Spooks, The Descent and Filth. Not to mention having a chat with Sting in Germany. I'll be meeting fantastic performers in the pub over the next few weeks and months with career-defining moments and secrets from behind the scenes. So make sure and don't miss out by subscribing to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod and follow at Performer Pint on socials. I've been your host, Graham Rooney. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review. I'd love to hear your thoughts, unless, of course, you don't like me, then please do keep them to yourself. And remember, no one likes a stingy mate at the pub. So... Share the pod with friends and family. See you next week.